But even when I was younger, watching TV, I would, I would stay up all night because, like, why do you need to go to sleep? My goal was not to sleep. Yes. So what comes on late at night? Weird preachers begging for money. Like, that is a thing. So, okay, funny story, true story. I was in such a distressed state of life that this pastor came on, and he was saying glory, like, the glory of God. And so he said, he, like, had this cloth, and he's like, my glory is leaking out of me. (laughs) He literally did this. And he said, if you want the glory of God, send me $1,000, and I'll send you a piece of my my cloth. So didn't have $1,000. But I sent... I sent in $50, and they sent me a little piece of cloth. It wasn't the same cloth, obviously. It was pre-cut. But my troubles weren't over, and I, like, wasted my money. Like, that was so stupid. Do not fall for that ever. Like, literally, it's fake. Don't. <laughs> they have their own jets. They literally use that money for jets. It's, it's kind of stupid. <laughs> but, but that's what glory meant to me growing up. Like, it had no meaning. It had nothing to do with God. It had everything to do with people and power and like money. (laughs) So, but I wanted to kind of explain tonight what it actually is so that we can walk out of here with the knowledge, like not just an emotion, not just a fleeting feeling, but we have something solid to stand on when we're talking about the glory of God. So there are a couple of words in the Bible that are used for glory, but we're going to talk about just one and it's kavod. So that word or kavod, if you're looking at the blue letter Bible, because the V and B kind of make the same sound. But we're going to talk about the finite definition so that we can later understand how to define the infinite God. But we can't define the infinite without using a finite definition to bridge that gap. So first part of that word, kavod, literally means heaviness or weight. So the example, 1 Samuel And all these verses are so cool. Like, just write them down. Read them in your Bible study time. Ask who it was written for, who's written to, why it was written, all that stuff. These are all so good. So each one of these is like a whole day or a whole week of Bible study. 1 Samuel 4.18, the priest Eli, he fell backwards in his chair, and he broke his neck and died. So what happened there, the Philistines took over, and someone came and told him, hey, we're about to be overtaken. It's not going to be good. And he was taken aback. And the, his glory made him fall back. And he broke his neck and died. Like, usually if you fall back in a chair from laughter or if you're afraid, you don't die. So why did he die? First of all, he was their priest for about 40 years. So that means he was like 60 or 70 years old. He had glory, which is heaviness. So imagine a half-ton man falling behind on his 70-year-old neck. He's crushing it. He's going to die. He's not going to live. It's not going to be good. So that literal definition is heaviness or weight. Like you literally can't get up. It's going to kill you. Second definition is the metaphorical one. That's the importance or reputation, what honor you have. Psalms 7.5, it says, The enemy lays my kavod or my, my glory in the dust. What happened there, David was chased out of his own home that he built, and his son, they set up a coup to kind of take his reign from him. And so he's saying basically everything he built, his whole reputation, his whole role in society was literally uh, stripped from him. So that's that metaphorical thing. 
So when you think about that, think, you guys were at Summit. You guys heard Eli and Mary preach. Imagine them walking into your small group. Imagine yourself teaching small group, and then Eli or Mary coming into your small group, sitting down and just being like, teach me. You're going to be like, wait, I can't, I can't teach you anything. Like, you literally are the best. Like, come on. Or like if a president comes into your small group or your classroom, your teacher is literally going to fall dead because they're not going to know what to say. They're going to either be really happy or really angry or intimidated, but it's just going to be a lot of feelings that come up. So that's that, that, and, um, that reputation kind of thing. So all that being said, it's kind of like an invisible, but it's invisible, invisible, but invisible, but social reality. So that's like someone walks into a room, like you give them your attention. The third finite definition of glory is a physical manifestation of one's importance. Big sentence, but basically that means why do you have any worth? So that it's like your wealth and your possessions. Second Chronicles, King Hezekiah, he had immense riches and kavod. Think Elon Musk. He has billions on billions of money, like of dollars. These are his physical realities. This is why he is important, because he has money. Literally, astronauts go to school for a million years just to go to the moon, and he just says, like, let me write you a check and send me up there. Like, he's that important. So for us, though, our physical realities are the things around us that describe who we are. So think about what does your room look like or what does your car look like? What's your style? Do you wear Vans? Are you a Nike, like Air Jordans? What, what do you like? What describes who you are? That is your kavod, like your physical kavod. So with God, his kavod is creation, his physical thing that he made for us, that this is our home. And so if you want to know about us, of creation in general, take a look around in our home. Like, what have we done to it? Have, how have we treated it? That is going to show how we are as a whole, not individuals, but as a whole. So all of that, that's the physical, finite version of glory. But what does the glory of God mean? How do we define the infinite? Because we are finite creatures. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm going to try my best to help. Um, but we're going to dive into some examples of God's nature and character pertaining to his glory so I'm going to try my best to make the case for God's gloriousness, which is, is ultimately, he's so worthy. He's the greatest thing ever. He has the best value, and he is so beautiful. Like, he's so great. So hopefully by the end of that, you're going to see the same thing I see, maybe something better. Who knows? But two things I'm going to talk about. First, nature, part of God, the metaphysical part. This is kind of like the divine radiation zone. I like this word. Um, it can literally, this, this divine glory, it literally transforms matter and energy. It's, it's like you walk into a room and you're changed. And so I'm going to try to bridge this. Do you guys know what um, Hiroshima is? Yes. Okay, cool. Nakasoki, yes. Okay, awesome. I don't know if I said that right. Whatever, it doesn't matter. But the nuclear bombs, so they took the remnants of those bombs into a lab, and they were studying them, these scientists. So they took two half spears of them. They were putting them together kind of close to see how, long, how far um, they could get, how close they could get together before there was a reaction. 
So I don't know. I'm a scientist by trait, and sometimes scientists can be so stupid. Like, these guys literally were idiots. I don't know why. I mean, they're dead now. But anyways, that's why they're dead. But so they thought they were beyond God. They wanted to make a man-made source of glory. Um, So they were testing these, these two metals with a screwdriver in their hand, without gloves, without protection. And these are literally pieces of the atomic bomb, and they're just literally sitting right here doing that, pushing them together. So this guy was super, like, overconfident in his skills, and one day he slipped, his hand slipped, the things collapsed, a big blue light shone throughout the whole building that you can see from outside the building, through everybody in it and all the things in the building, and the, no one died immediately. He just looked up and said, I am so sorry. We're all going to die. Like, that's just going to be the reality. Because that radiation, those rays just literally shot through everybody. And, like, if you, you know, if you were behind a wall, it wasn't as bad. But if you were in the same room, I think there were, like, seven scientists in the same, like, vicinity. They all died within, between a week and ten years, depending on where they were in location. I mean, can you imagine if you were mowing the yard that day at the building? Like, it's not even your fault, but you're still going to die anyway. Anyways, the fact is that the radiation, that it, pick, it like kicks out electrons. So if you have water, H2O, it kicks off one of those H's. It becomes hydroxide. Can you imagine your whole body just being filled with that? Like, it's chaos, and it's literally kind of like a chain reaction, bumping one thing after another. Then your body starts shutting down. Your organs start shutting down. It literally destroys you. That's why, I don't know why we created that. Like, it's not good for anybody, but they thought it was a great idea. So in case we were threatened, but literally it kills us too. So... The thing with that is, like, if we try to recreate this glory of God, which we're not supposed to do, we are not able to do, it literally brings destruction and death. Like, but with God, the divine radiation zone, you cannot walk out of his presence without being changed. So whatever you have, whatever mountain you have, whatever thing that's keeping you between the Lord, when you're in his presence, that thing is just, it cannot stand. So... A couple type of types of words used for metaphysical, Shekinah glory, you may have heard that before, a pillar of cloud or a beam of light. In Exodus, the Israelites were led by cloud in the day and fire at night. Those are like physical manifestations of God's presence. In Luke, um, the shepherds were out in the fields and an angel visited them and the glory of the Lord was behind them like a big light, big bright light. And even Moses, he prayed, show me your glory in Exodus. And God, he kindly said, no, you can't see my glory and live. But if you hide in this rock and just look at my backside, my afterglow, you can look at that and be okay. And so he's like, okay, cool, let's go for it. But then even then, he literally saw the back of God. And it literally transformed him to the point where he transformed everybody that he encountered after that. So... It literally, it makes a difference. So, and the other one, Saul, in Acts 9, Saul literally killed Christians for a living. And then the Lord just, just met him. His glory just, boom, appeared. He was blind for three days just from seeing a light and hearing God's voice. And it's funny because everyone around him saw what happened, but they didn't know what happened. 
So they're like, I don't know what that was, but it was a thing. And he now he's a Christian and basically rewrote or basically wrote the New Testament. But and it, it's like the Lord, it transforms you completely. Like your life will be completely different. And it doesn't matter where you've come from or where you are or where you were. Like Saul was literally so bad, like literally murdering Christians. Like that's really bad. But God said, no, I can still use you. Like if you want me, you can have me, but you have to want me. So that physical presence, that physical manifestation of the Lord, um, it's not something just for the Bible. Like, I don't know how you guys, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but think about the last time you've heard the Lord or encountered God or when, he's, when he says like, okay, don't take it right here, take a left here instead. I can't tell you how many times like almost gotten in an accident if I would have gone a certain way in that small whisper saying like, don't go that way today or pause or I don't know, it's just crazy. Or even just in the, in the sense of worship, there's one time we were worshiping in my house and it was me and two other friends and I don't remember very much. I just remember we started worship and then five hours later we were still worshiping, but we couldn't really see because it was like, it was everything was just kind of foggy and it, it kind of felt like a, the fog machine was coming out because, you know, like that's not real glory. That's just a fog machine. But, it, you know, like if it happens in your house, you're like, wait, what was that? Like, is God actually here? No, no way. But we literally were on the floor praying and praising God because it literally, we couldn't stand up because his presence was so thick. And it's like that can happen to us now. It's not something of the past. It's something that's really present Tozer, he says it like this. Every one of us has had an experience, has had experiences which we have not been able to explain. A sudden sense of loneliness or a feeling of wonder or awe in the face of the universal vastness. Or we have had a fleeting visitation of light from some other sun giving us a quick flash and assurance that we are from another world. That our origins are divine. Explain such things as we will, I think we have not been fair to the facts until we allow at least the possibility that such experiences may arise from the presence of God in the world and his persistent effort to communicate with mankind. So all of these physical manifestations, the, what's the point? Not for God to be like, I'm so cool, look at me, like bow to me now. It's not for that at all. These manifestations and experiences that he's kind of expressed with us are directly related to him, him giving himself away and to dwell among men. He wishes to dwell with us and to have his reality and his splendor known to us and known through us. He wants his character to be manifested in us. And the thing is, he says, we don't need to do anything. We don't have to strive. We don't have to like have perfect attendance in small group. We don't have to attend the church every single Sunday. Yes, those things are good. Do those things. But that's not why he reveals himself to us. The only thing he says to do is to be still and know who he is. Because if you know who he is, all these things are going to, you're going to want to do those regardless. All right. So the second part of God's character, the second aspect of God's glory is his worth as an infinitely lovely and pure holy person. What that means, he is has all power, all honor, and all the value belongs to him. I'm going to say it like this, and then I'm going to explain. We are partakers, but not originators of his glory. 
Because we've seen what it looks like if we try to recreate glory, if we try to recreate that radiation that, that changes people's lives, it just brings death and destruction. So we partake in his glory that he gives us. Only God is the source of glory in the infinite aspect. He creates, maintains, and bestows as he pleases. So think about it. Think about when you were 12 years old. What did your room and your home look like? Did you have some style? Did you have posters on the wall? Mine wall was filled with Justin Timberlake and kitty cats. I don't like cats. I'm allergic to them. I don't know why I had posters. But I had things in my room that I chose and my parents allowed me to have. But I didn't have a job. I didn't have a way of getting money. The, everything that I had was given to me by them, and that's how it is with the Lord. Like, everything that we have are gifts from him, and his glory he shares with us. So there's nothing that we can make on our own. He's just kind of reflecting it off of us and through us. Um, all right. Again, we are partakers, not originators. And I'm saying this because in Genesis... This is, a, this is good, theology. In Genesis, he said he made man in his image, but he made man in a finite, miniature version of himself. And he allows us to partake in his glory and kind of reflect it off because we can't really create that. It's, we're not God, and it's fine. We don't want to be God. We shouldn't want to be God because then you end up in bad places. <laughs> so um, I'm going to take this. We're going to look at some scripture, and we're going to break it down. And again, like, Asking questions. When you're looking at scripture all the time, ask, who is it written for? Who is it written by? Why is it written? What does it mean to you? So 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 10 is a big chunk, but we're going to break it down verse by verse. The first verse says, he made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. What does that even mean? So he made his light shine in our hearts. What is that light? That light is the face of Christ. Christ is the glorious one, and he's opening up our minds to the divine understanding of God's goodness. So how do we know God is good unless he shows us that he's good, that we know he's good? You know? Okay. Verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. What are the jars of clay? They're us. So we, I'm a bottle, I'm a clay bottle right now. And hopefully I'm empty enough so that God can fill me. But he's showing that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So we can only share what has been graciously given to us. You know, they say that a cup spills what's inside of it. What's inside of you when you get poked and prodded and angry or whatever, you explode. Is it joy? Is it goodness? Is it grace that comes out? Or is it anger or bitterness or strife? You know, things like that. So hopefully it's the glory of God. <laughs> but verse 8 and 9, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why don't these things bother us? Because it bothers everybody else. So why are we different? It's because it's not what you're going through. It's who you're going through it with. So he does say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But that doesn't mean there is no yoke and there is no burden. Like, we still have those things. But because we go through it with him, they all go back to glorify the Lord because he transforms everything that we go through to reflect his goodness in the end. Verse 10, 
We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Basically, the story of Jesus, his story is the proof of God's glory, that he sent his son down, that he would do anything to be reconciled back to his beloved children. Like, he literally would do it all over again if one person says, I want you, God. He would literally do this whole thing over again, take all the heartache, all the goodness just for you. Any person who wants him, he would do it again. So that's the breakdown in individual verses. So now let's think about the whole chunk of that scripture. The whole thing kind of points to how the glory of God will be revealed in us and through us because of Jesus. We are the clay vessels that he, his presence, and his glory resides in. So we can kind of house Jesus. We can kind of make our house the way we want it so that he can live in us and commune with us. And we are given value because this glorious one resides in us. Yes, we have value before that because when you're a baby, you have immense value in the Lord's eyes. That's why he sent his son. But we have more value because Jesus actually can live inside of us. And this thing is it's a process. Like, And Jesus is kind of given, he's not expecting us to do everything right the first round, the first time around. It's not like you follow Jesus and then now you have to be like the best person in the world. No, it's not like that at all. It's a process. And Jesus has given us a way to get there. It's called grace. (laughs) So we won't see the completion on this side of eternity because we can only reveal his glory in a finite way. Because if we could do it in an infinite way, like, yeah, it's going to be pretty stinking awesome. And we probably only will be able to say holy, 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 just like the angels. But we can work towards this character and life change in, the res- in like becoming more restored with Christ and with the, with the Father and just being like he intended us to be in full relationship and full communion with him in the garden, like taking it way back to Genesis. Like that's what he wants for us to be back in the garden, which garden means like his presence. So God wants us to be in his presence with him. And I don't know, like, not everybody has a life-changing encounter with God like Saul did. And, I mean, I don't personally want that. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't want to be blind for three days. I do want the Lord, but, yeah, I don't want that. So (laughs) most of the time we're not going to have that encounter with him in that way, and that's okay. I think most of the time we're going to have that encounter of his glory through a person, So think about who in your life right now serves you, even though you can be terrible to them. Like, we are all selfish in some ways. I'm pretty selfish, too. Like, Chris said it once before, what kind of friend are you? The, what can I do for you, friend? Or, how can you help me, friend? And I am the, how can you help me today? (laughs) That, That is just who I am. I try not to be that way, but, I mean, that's just, I'm literally trying, you know, it's fine. But for me... That person was Sonia. That was my small group leader. So I was pretty terrible. Literally, the what can you do for me but not for Jesus kind of person. Like, how many rides can you give me this week? And how much food can you serve me without me paying for it? I want to go, like, I want to eat at Cheddar's today. Can you pick up the tab? I want to go get my nails done. Can you pick up the tab? Like, that's, that's who I was, like, for her. And she literally loved me through that. And she showed me worth when, like, I wasn't... In the eyes of man, it, I probably weren't, I wasn't as worthful, wasn't full of worth like I should be. So, but the Lord is saying, it doesn't matter where you are, you still have value to me. And our friends do that for 
we do that for each other. So your small group leader does that for you, and you should be able to do that for your small group leader. Small group leaders, you should be able to do that for your resource leaders. Resource leaders, do that for your staff members. It, like, the circle never ends. Like, serve people and serve them well. Love people well because they have value. And regardless if you think someone's qualified or not to, to have the glory of the Lord, like, we have no say in that. So even when I was a small group leader, my small group would call me out so much, literally so annoying. But who am I to tell God, like, who he can speak through? You know, so it's just a part of life. Like, it's really good to be humble. Like, it's really good. Um, continuing on, Psalms 19.1 the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. This verse is so good. Like, it's so simple, but so profound. Like, the heavens declare, like, look around. Like, God is so awesome. Like, he created the whole system, the solar system, the stars, the weather system, mountains, rivers, oceans, all of that. It shows his brilliant mind, the handiwork of his mind, his power, his wisdom, this is the physical reality of God. Like, he's declaring who he is by just waking you up every morning. Like, that in itself is a thing that he does for every single person that's alive today. Revelation 4.11. You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive the glory and the honor and the power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This, again, just shows how wonderful he is. Like, you wouldn't be here if God did not make it for you to be here. And I think that's so cool. He literally cares about even how you got to this school. Like, even how I, I literally would not be in San Angelo, Texas. But I am here. Like, the Lord cares that much. I wouldn't change it for anything. Like, I love it here. But it's like he literally cares about the process. It's not just oh, God called me to be this thing. Like, he's so wonderful, has such a vast mind that he cares about each step in our lives, each bit before our process to get to the next thing. It leads me to talk about kind of like, what do we value as people? I don't, what do you, why do you do the things you do and who are you doing it for? Why, <laughs> why do you go to school? Why do you go to work? Why do you study is it for someone or something? Is it because it has you're aiming for a beautiful goal, something with money? Like, what is it? Like, you really have to think about that because that's literally, if that's whatever you're living your life for, if it's not good, it's it won't be good. <laughs> I, there's no other way to put it. But even imagine, like, take a second and think about your happiest moment or moments in your life and all the feelings that come with it. I bet, like, all the risks that you had to take, everything that you sacrificed, those things are worth those moments, right? Like, yes, they are. So, but even, even then, those good things, those are good things, but they can disappoint and torment you if they are our end goal. So take relationships for an example. If you are fighting for this one relationship, and it's just not good, like, you literally give up everything. You reject your family, your friends for this person who doesn't even want you. And then you find out that person doesn't want you. You're left in destruction, desolation. Like, even though that was a good, that pursuit was good for a moment, if that's your end goal, like, it's always going to disappoint. And that's with money, like, things, your jobs, like, whatever it is. 
None of these things were ever meant to fill that God-sized void in our hearts because only God can satisfy that. So I like to say like this, no amount of good things can actually love us as well as God. Like it's, money doesn't make you happy. People don't make you happy like God can make you happy. Even children, they can't make you happy like God can make you happy. So there's glory in these things, yes, but they do not measure up to the glory of God. So the more we have of him, the more we will want of him. It's, it's really nice. It's like once you taste something, like tasting sugar for the first time, your eyes are opened and you're like, I like that. Or you may not like it. Maybe it's salt. Who knows? But you're going to want more. You're going to want more of it. Even though salt makes you thirsty. You, like I literally love salt. I don't know why. Um, but anyways, with the Lord, the more you have of him, the more you want. And he kind of reveals himself little by little. He kind of makes you work for it. Like, you got to study him and find out different things about him. And each moment that we're with him, we get closer because it's a constant pursuit, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. But it doesn't sound like, you know, if someone's like, you got to study every minute of the day, it's not like that at all. Like, you could go through your whole day just meditating on the Lord, and it's not a task. It's not burdensome it's it just brings you lifts you up makes you brighter alexander mclaren says it so much better than this but there must be a there must be first of all a fixed deliberate intelligent conviction lying at the foundation of my life that god is best and that he and only he is my true delight and desire i love that like not just claiming the emotional state, like the worship was so good, which it really was. You guys did fantastic. It was so great. But it's not just about the emotions. It's like the Lord wants our minds. Like he wants, he doesn't just want you to be tricked into loving him. He wants you to actually think about it, like choose it for yourself mentally. So I think we kind of have to give ourselves time to, to kindle, to pray, like, if we don't allow that time in our lives for just even for visions of the Lord or even just time for him to speak to us, like, how do we expect to get closer to him if we don't do that? Like, if we don't have time to encounter him, how do we encounter him if we only give him five minutes in our week? Like, if the average person only prays three minutes a day, like, how do we even get to know someone from three minutes a day? We give more time to our Instagram of people we don't know. I do. So, you know, like, it's a thing. Like, you have to give time to the Lord. I say, let us dwell in this secret place, this garden, this presence of the Lord, because this is where he gives us that peace and that passion. So if you're going through something, I cannot tell you how many times I've been praying and striving for something, and then God's just saying, just stop. Stop praying for a day, and let me just do my job. Like, and then he does it. It's like, literally, just if you lay it at his feet, physically lay it, but don't pick it back up when you, when you get up. Like, that's what he's saying to do. Because in the, in the glory and his presence, anything that is ungodly or that needs to be any mountain that you have, it's literally consumed by him. It's changed in that divine radiation. Like, everything in his presence has to be transformed. It will be transformed. So going back to that first verse that we read at the beginning, Psalms 46. Come and behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolation in the earth. And he makes the wars cease to the end of the earth. 
He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is the thing I want to really leave you with. Two men please God. He who loves him with all his heart because he knows him. And he who seeks him with all his heart because he knows him not. I'm going to read that again because it's kind of like, you got to think about it. So two men please God. He who loves him with all his heart because he knows him. And he who seeks him with all his heart because he knows him not. So if the band could come back, that'd be great. Um, the thing here, Jesus wants to make us more human. The, the way that God intended for humans to be humanity. And there's, again, there's so much grace. He just wants us to start somewhere. It doesn't, you don't have to get all your ducks in a row to pursue God. You don't have to be like, okay, I have to go to five small groups. And then, okay, I can, I've done that. Now I can go to the altar. Or the other way where it's like, I haven't been to small group. I cannot go to the altar because they're going to think I did something bad. Like, which, you know, like, it's not that at all. <laughs> like, it's not like that. No one thinks that, actually. Nobody actually thinks that. So if you think that, no one actually cares like that. Um, no offense, but because I used to think that way too. So it's about this present moment of where you are right now and your relationship with God and your openness with God. And it's, again, it's not about your past or what you've done or even the good things you've done or where you are in your attendance. So I don't know if you guys have read The Practicing of the Presence. It's a great book. Ryan has a lot of copies. He wants to give them away. But Brother Lawrence talks about when you stray away from the Lord, good or bad, like if your mind is not on him, do not dwell on the thing that took your mind off of him because that defeats the purpose, right? Like you turn to him quickly and you you do it with your whole heart. So if you've sinned or you've fallen short, whatever it is, God's like, just don't even, don't even dwell on it. Just come back to me as soon as possible. As soon as you're ready to come back, I'm ready to receive you.